wounded and wonderful city. You can imagine that 10 days of a festival um, coming into this week's preparation was in my mind. So you're going to get, um, yes, the lectionary readings um, are going to be right at the centre of what we say, but we will go back through um, 10 days of a wounded and wonderful city and we will pick up some things from that that speak directly into our, our passage and text. But the text in its context is still about these elections. And that's not me looking at it. That is just the way that people in mainly North America from a Protestant um, Reformed tradition sat down to do a three-year cycle of the Scriptures and uh, they came up with these passages for January and February of 2017. And last week when Father Martin was here and he was uh, speaking about that um, those passages in Matthew, he didn't make it up to bring it into the context. It was right there. It was on the lectionary. But can I just as a, a humorous side to that say that the, refi- the revised common lectionary that we've been using here in, in Fitzroy over the last uh, year and a half is very different from the Catholic lectionary. Well, it's not very different. It's very like it until last Sunday. So we're getting near the end of the week before and Roberta's looking for the readings and I'm looking for Father Martin's readings for the radio show and he sends me the reading which I was presuming was going to be Deuteronomy but ended up as Ecclesiasticus. Ecclesiasticus. And so I had to message Martin back and say, Martin, that's not in ours. (laughs) He says, what, your lectionary doesn't have that this week? I says, no. Our Bible doesn't have that any time. So uh, he quickly changed it uh, to Deuteronomy. Having said that, it was a really interesting reading in Ecclesiasticus. But he wasn't making it up for a radio service or for a four-corner service, what he was saying from Matthew last week. This idea of love your neighbor and love your enemy. And to go, when you're going to worship, to go back and sort it out with whoever you have enmity with before you go to worship... That was already there. And so it's already there again today, these two readings. And I don't know whether you picked it up as I picked it up when I was reading the manifestos. But this is Leviticus, which I've never preached on before, I don't think, ever. And where, you know, Leviticus, it's that one that you don't want to go to too often. There's a lot of ritual in it. There's a lot of rules about the messiness of body fluids in it. And then there's this amazing part of chapter 19 which written 2,500 more years ago, seems to speak right into the Nolan show and the view and talkback and all the other stuff that goes on in our Northern Ireland media so many years and miles away from where it was written. Leviticus. And tonight's event, where we will have six of our MLA or potential possibilities of MLAs, who's standing to be MLAs as they try to share with us their manifestos. It's really difficult to separate Matthew 5, Leviticus 19 and our wounded and wonderful city or country. And I'm not going to go through Leviticus 19 word by word. In fact, I probably was at the start of the week But then late last night, much later than I would have wanted, the dam broke and I got what this morning was about. And actually, I got it late last night, but 
Fair to play to Johnny and the band. They got it a lot earlier than I did. Because the central message, it seems to me, for us out of this text this morning has already been very clearly in some of the worship songs that we've been singing. I was taken by the middle bits. I was taken by the do not slander. There's a good start for our politicians tonight, maybe. Um, The do not um, glean to the end so that the refugee might get something. I was taken by all the middle bits, and we could go through all the middle bits, but there, last night, really late in the day, I discovered the key to the entire passage, and more than that, the key to how the entire passage speaks into my life, and our lives, and Fitzroy's life. And the key is, if we'd read them in the right way round, which we didn't because Paul was going on the Matthew passage, and that's why Ross read that first If we read them in the Old Testament reading first and the New Testament reading second, then we begin with the first couple of lines, Neville read from Leviticus. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the opener. It's not a kind of a a wee intro before the main gig. Hold that for a moment. I am holy. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. I'm holy. The last line in the Matthew reading is be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, like Johnny's songs are going to be those bookends of the sermon, those are the two verses that are the bookends of what happens in between in the passages we've read today. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is is perfect. Now those are not any easier than Leviticus to preach on, are they? Here's the pastor coming and saying to you, now you need to be as holy as God. And you almost can see the, the whip in my hand as I kind of drive it onto the back of your uh, shoulders. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Goodness, Steve, this is crazy stuff. Well, it's crazy stuff. It is crazy stuff. The whole thing is crazy stuff. The Leviticus 19's crazy stuff in the day that um, these words were written so that the the people of God would be markedly different than the the countries and the nations around them. It is crazy stuff. It's upside down stuff as Jesus would follow in the Sermon on the Mount. But being holy because the Lord your God is holy and being perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect is not so that we could whip each other up with Protestant guilt. It seems to me that this is the key to, dare I say it, everything about what it is to come to church as a worshipper or a follower or a disciple. These are the keys to it. They are not keys to our Protestant guilt or our Catholic guilt or whatever guilt we might have. They are keys to how we follow, who we become. As the people of God. Let's think about it in the Matthew passage for a moment. If we think back over the last few weeks. Because Leviticus hasn't been in the lectionary readings up until now. But Matthew has. And we've been following through Matthew. And we've got into this part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've got there because Jesus has said to people. Follow me. This was the outset of the journey of mission. This is a book of mission. Matthew is declaring that the disciples of God are missionary. 
Because we start with follow me. We thought about this a couple of three weeks ago. And we finish with go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So this is about mission. This is about what we are as missionary disciples of God. We're disciples, we're learners, we're followers. The old bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Which actually is quite a good question. I'm just not sure it should have been commercialised in the way that it was for a period of time. And maybe we lost the, 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 the sharpness of the question because it became just a bracelet. What would Jesus do is what disciples are always thinking. How would Jesus live? How would Jesus vote? What would Jesus think? How would Jesus respond when he gets beat up outside the church and somebody throws a brick through well the neighbor's window, if not his? How, how do we become the character of God as the Beatitudes a few weeks ago were hinting that we needed to become? And what I've considered this week is, not this week, in these last number of hours as I've cracked the code for these passages is this. The holiness of God is not living in another worldliness somewhere else. The holiness of God is not some Simon the Stylite. Wasn't he the guy who lived in the 5th century on the top of a pillar? Because he thought if he could live on the top of a pillar, he would cut himself off from everybody and that would make him holy. That's the kind of holiness that I kind of grew up with. But it's not the holiness I think that we find here. It's not the holiness I think that we find here because we find God saying to us, we need to be holy as he is holy. And then it's not in some pillar. It's not cutting ourselves off. It's not living in some otherworldliness. It's living God's otherworldliness in this world. It's not disappearing into another worldliness. It's grabbing hold of the very character and core and heart of God and bringing it back as the word became flesh and moved in among us. God's holiness is revealed in God's involvement with us and with others. Where is God's greatest revelation of himself? You don't need to think about that very carefully if you go to churches. We have a table over here that once a month we gather round. The sacrament that Jesus left us, do this in remembrance of me. The reminder of the great revelation of God that the lamb was slain. And that we have this hope of the lion and the lamb side by side in some other day. In a couple of weeks time we will bring the cross back out for Lent. Because we took it away for those moments of Advent and in through Epiphany. But we will bring this cross back out. And if you go to most churches, you will find that cross. That great revelation of God. God, the servant king. God's holiness. The remarkable holiness of God. The perfection of who God is. Is revealed in God giving of himself to reconcile his enemies to himself and to bring back together a broken world a wounded world the wonder of which is found in the wounds being healed by the God who revealed himself in all his wonder in that incredibly otherworldly way of giving his life 
for us. We don't do as Christians as God tells us to do. We do as Christians what God did and does. Leviticus, if we read it carefully, is about loving your Presbyterian neighbour. Israel likes the word used, but it's the clan. It's us. It's love those that are part of our community. And it is an example to the world the way we would love each other, which has not always been the best. But when Jesus comes, there's a problem when you just love your Israelite neighbour. Because if you just love your Israelite neighbour and if you live in Leviticus 19 for a few hundred years, then maybe you could add to it, well, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Because it doesn't tell you to love your enemy in the Leviticus part of it. And so Jesus takes it one further. He says, you've heard, love your neighbour, but what I'm saying to you, because your God, your Father is perfect, you also be perfect, and do more than love your neighbour. Love your enemy. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is getting at something at the core of who God is here. Jesus is getting somewhere here on the core of what discipleship, the heartbeat of discipleship is. I mean... Pagans do kind of love their neighbour in some way. The other worldliness of this God that we believe in is that you would give yourself up for your enemy. Trevor Morrow spoke at our theological lectures (coughs) at the Four Corners Festival. Oh my word. I love Trevor. Trevor is one of the major inspirations and influences in my life but when I hear him preach I just want to go home and give it up because he's so flippant good that really there's just no chance of us commoners being able to reach where Trevor Mora can reach in a in a sermon and it was no different at St. Teresa's that night this was incredibly insightful stuff and it fits right into the middle of what I'm trying to talk about today Philippians chapter 2 is where um Trevor took his three steps towards reconciliation. That hymn that um, I use an awful lot. But if we, if we listen just before the hymn in, in Philippians 2 and 5, we find Paul saying, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We've got a bit of an incident happening in Philippi, and uh, Paul's trying to say to them, here's how you want to be reconcilers. Do you want to do three steps to reconciliation? He says, here are the three steps. And, and Trevor pulled those apart. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Kenosis. It's a word that says that God emptied himself to reconcile. God emptied himself of being God so that he would become human. So that he could reconcile humanity to himself. Now he didn't give up who he was as God. But he emptied himself of of the rights of God. Which Trevor went into in quite a long way. On the orange and green situation that we might have in our country. But we don't want to go there because that's not the point that really shocked and disturbed in my life number one kenosis we empty ourselves god emptied himself the bread and the wine this is god emptying himself secondly rather he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. So he empties himself and then he becomes a servant to his enemies. He serves his enemies. He washes their feet. He serves them by handing out the bread and the wine at the Last Supper. He serves them by dying on a cross in their place. He emptied himself and he serves his enemies. And that last one, dying on a cross in his place, is the key one that Trevor pulled out. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we thought about at the start of January. In order to reconcile ourselves with our enemy, we need to do what God did. Have the mindset of Christ Jesus. I, your God, am holy. You be holy. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Have the mindset of Christ Jesus. Empty ourselves. We become servants of our enemies. And then Trevor took us on the one that I'm still really wrestling with. As Martin said last week in his sermon, it's not the bits of the scripture that you don't understand that are the most difficult. It's when some of the scriptures are made really clear to you and you think that's too difficult. Trevor said, in whatever context, whether it's personal or whether it's societal, whether it's in the Northern Ireland context that we live in in a constant and a daily way, if we want reconciliation, which is God's will, we believe, for creation, then we will empty ourselves of our rights. Then we will serve our enemies. And then we will be the ones, listen to this, it's there in the text, being found in his appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. On that cross, Jesus takes the injustices that were, upon him, that were towards him, the enmity that was towards him, the things that we did to him, he takes on himself and sacrifices himself so that we would be clear for reconciliation. This is an otherworldly idea. This is an otherworldly idea. That those who've done against us, we don't go for them and seek their justice. Now, I'm not talking about law courts because no doubt material come at me afterwards. But in our relationship, in our broken, wounded relationship, the example of Jesus is that as a follower of Jesus, be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Be perfect for I, because your Father in heaven is perfect. Have the same mindset as Christ. If somebody has done something against me, I take the blame on myself that it might tear the curtain between us to allow me to be back in relationship with that other person and then the week played itself out four brave courageous people came and shared their stories on the Wednesday night Paul Gallagher we heard Paul speak at one of the evenings in Fitzroy a number of years ago when we did the Step Too Far um, video series Paul was in his own home as he calls it the right place at the right time when a UFF gang looking for his neighbour couldn't find his neighbour so burst into their house and kept them hostage for a period of time and as they were leaving uh, their mission done and their mission not accomplished because the neighbour never returned they decided they would take it out in some Catholic and so they opened fire on Paul and he took the bullets 
right through his body and now moves around in a wheelchair very different than the 19 year old who took the bullets probably for his family at that moment and he talked about how he needed to make sure that he wouldn't take revenge or that his family wouldn't join the other side and that he would become somebody who now is at Queen's doing a PhD in peacemaking courage Joe McCune Lost his grandfather before he was born. Never knew his grandfather but was angry about it. Hated the British. Hated everything British because British soldiers had shot his grandfather. And he talked about how at one of these peace weekends he was asked to lift a Union Jack which he found almost impossible to lift. But as he lifted it he started to cry. He said like a baby. And then he said these words, very powerful words. He said, God took me to places that I did not want to go. So that I would forgive my enemy. And just about a year and a half ago. He was able to bring a British soldier. Not that British soldier. But a British soldier up to have a meal with his family. In some sense of reconciliation. God took me to a place that I didn't want to go. He sacrificed. On himself. As his father did. His father who is perfect. His God who is holy. The mindset of Christ. And John Martin, another friend of mine, talking about how losing his father in the poly bomb. Many of us will remember that Friday. His father was underneath the bomb, died instantly the day that his mother was going to tell his father that she was pregnant with John. And John talking about the courage, not only of himself, but of his mother. To be prepared to be reconcilers in a land that wounded and broke them as a family. The connection of the law with the character of God marks daily human interaction. And it makes our daily human interaction sacred. Because the holiness of God is not found in the otherworldly. The holiness of God is found in the otherworldly working itself out in our daily interactions. Whether you're Paul Gallagher, whether you're Joe McEwan, whether you're John Martin, whether you're Mary Borland who also, or Merlin who also shared her story that night. Whoever you might be, the interactions that you have with your neighbour and your enemy is a sacred mark of the holiness of God within us. And good, good father that we sang earlier it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am who God is the holy God the heavenly father who is perfect it's who he is how do we know it's who he is because he loves us and who are we we're his children we're his children we're his children with the DNA of God with the DNA of Jesus Willing to live for the common good in a wounded but wonderful city. Johnny's going to come back. He's going to sing a song that I wrote the lyrics to it about a year and a half ago when we were in one of our other difficult times. And I was at a gathering of those who try to make an effort or contribution in peace and somebody just happened to say we need to breathe hope we need to breathe hope 
And so I threw these words together and Johnny made them sound better than the ones I threw together. Father is holy, let us be holy. As our Heavenly Father is perfect, let us reveal Him in that amazing otherworldliness, becoming 
incarnate in the same mindset as Jesus. Let's empty, let's serve, let's be sacrificed. Let's pray. Lord, as we come towards elections, perhaps the divisions in our country become more obvious. We pray you would show us what it would be like if we lived this otherworldliness of your holiness and perfection and the mindset of Jesus right on the streets of our city and country. We pray, Lord, that we would be the kiss of your grace and the breath of hope that we need because we are your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.